0: Welcome to my mommy's
1: podcast. This episode is sponsored by June Shine, a delicious kombucha based adult beverage that many people are turning to in lieu of beer or spiked sparkly drinks. June Shine is better for you alcohol and there's a reason it's becoming so popular. It's made with only real organic ingredients and unlike many alcoholic beverages, they are transparent about every ingredient they put in their products. It's brewed with real organic ingredients, has only three grams of sugar, making it low carb, handful of probiotics. Best of all, it doesn't leave you with that I'm too full after drinking feeling, and it gives you a lighter, brighter buzz. Juneshine is sustainably produced. They are 100% carbon neutral. They donate 1% of all sales to environmental nonprofits. Their brewery is powered by 100% renewable solar, and they plant trees for all those used to make their boxes. And now they deliver straight to your door. I've worked out a special deal just for you. Receive 20% off plus free shipping site-wide. I recommend trying one of their best-selling variety packs. It's a great way to sample all their flavors. Go to juneshine.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama at checkout to claim this deal. So again, that's j-u-n-e-s-h-i-n-e dot com slash wellnessmama. You can also find them at over 10,000 stores across the country, including Whole Foods, Safeway, Kroger, and Publix. This podcast is brought to you by Juve Red Light Therapy Devices. Not familiar with red light? Thousands, and yes, I said thousands, of peer-reviewed research articles have demonstrated the benefits of red and near-infrared light for things like skin health, reduced pain and inflammation, and faster muscle recovery. These are some of the same spectrums we get from the sun, although of course not as many as we get from the sun, but they provide specific benefit and can be used at home. I've personally used this to help my hair stay healthy and thick, to support my thyroid with light, and to help tighten up blue skin after six babies. One feature I love with their latest generation of products is something they call ambient mode, which uses lower intensity red light designed to be used at night as a healthy alternative to bright blue light. Using the Juve custom ambient setting at night doesn't negatively affect your melatonin production, which makes it a great way to prepare your body for bed. It's a part of my routine and I hope you'll try it too. For a limited time, all of my listeners get an exclusive discount on your first order. Go to juve.com forward slash wellnessmama and apply my code wellness mama to your order. Again, that's J O O V com slash wellness mama. Of course, some exclusions apply, and this is a limited time offer. So hurry up and grab one now. Hello, and welcome to the wellness mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com that's wellness with an E on the end. It's my completely non-toxic personal care line. This episode is with someone I'm very excited to talk to. I'm here with Paul Jamine, and I cannot believe, honestly, that I have not had him on this podcast up until now. He was a very strong early influence of mine with his work around the perfect health diet that we talk about today. He was also largely influential to people like Chris Kresser and Mark Sisson, and has been in the nutrition and health world for many, many years. And we talk a lot about that, but we also go deep on his current project with his wife, Xiao Qing, that has really promising potential for cancer. And he explains just how that is and, and what makes it different in this episode. But if you are not familiar with Paul, I would guess many of you are. Uh, he's currently the founder and president of AngiX, which is the biopharmaceutical company that is developing these novel therapies for solid cancers. And the results so far are absolutely astounding. It's built on discoveries made by his wife and co-founder, Xiao Qing, And they have a new class of drug we talk about today. I know that normally I am not the biggest proponent of pharmaceuticals, and I actually invested in this company because I think its potential and how it works in such a less toxic way and works well in combination with natural therapies is really, really important. Again, something that we all know is an increasing problem. Paul was MIT educated in both physics and philosophy, went on to get a doctorate, PhD in physics, He was an astrophysicist at Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics before becoming an entrepreneur and getting into the natural health world after some of his own health problems. And he's combined his expertise in entrepreneurship and natural health with his wife's research in molecular biology, and that's what's spearheading this new company. So this is a novel treatment that i hope that you will never need if you're listening to this or that none of your loved ones will ever need but statistically many of us at some point in our lives or our loved ones may encounter cancer. So i wanted to get him on today to talk about a very wide ranging number of topics from diet and natural health, circadian biology and then transitioning into these novel cancer treatments. And without further ado, let's jump into this fascinating episode. Paul, welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, hi, Katie. It's
1: great to be with you. It's so exciting to talk to you. I have admired your work for so many years and actually can't believe we haven't gotten to have this conversation before now, but uh, we're getting close to 500 episodes. And I love that we now have such a big community here to share you with today. You are an expert in so many different topics. I'm going to try to keep it to just a couple of those today. Uh, a lot of listeners, I would guess, are already familiar with you. But for those who aren't, I, I first found out about you through your work with The Perfect Health Diet. So I'd love to start there. And specifically, I've heard you say that natural approaches to health can obviously have a big impact. I've talked about that here. um, And that most people can add as much as 20 years to their lifespan through basically diet and lifestyle approaches. I know this is kind of the basis of the perfect health diet. So if you don't mind, let's start there and just kind of give us an overview of what the perfect health diet is.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's basically an implementation of of paleo. So uh, paleo, I would just say is the approach to eating where you eat natural whole foods. And uh, you know, so the idea is things that could have been hunted and gathered are you know, going to be our, our natural diet uh, and things that get constructed in chemistry laboratories and assembled out of uh, you know, different purified molecules are, are not likely to be nourishing. You know, and so when I first came across that concept about 2003 in uh, the writings of Art Devaney Uh, It was very persuasive to me, and I was interested in solving some personal health problems at the time, so I gave it a try. Now, Art Devaney's diet was was very low-carb, and I ran into some problems on it, so I ran into some nutritional deficiencies, and, and so I thought, well, it's not good enough just to eat natural whole foods. You need a balanced diet where you're getting all the nutrients you need, and it would be a good service to the world to figure out you know exactly how much do you need of each nutrient and what would be the right paleo diet the right natural whole foods diet that gives you everything you need and i didn't quite realize the time it took me seven years to figure that out but uh, i started working on it and uh, and that became the perfect health diet so the uh, the reason for the name is just describing the aspiration we think you should have that uh there's no one magic bullet for health you fix one thing you know you just go low carb and your health will be fixed um no you have to there are many many things you need to optimize simultaneously uh in order to really fix your health or optimize your health and so in order to do that you have to be aiming for perfection you have to be aiming high in order to achieve you know very good uh which is you know what what most of us want and uh you know so once i Realized that you had to optimize many, many things, and you know, started researching and putting them all together. And the more I learned, as I fixed my own health, and I started thinking, oh, I should be sharing this with friends and relatives and helping them, and started doing that. And I kept learning. And then I thought, oh, I should start a blog. And then, oh, we've learned enough. We should really share this. Write a book, and then start a health retreat. So it just kept kind of growing. You know, we were never quite as big as you know, say Mark Sisson or or yourself now. But uh, uh, you know, I'd say we were one of the most influential uh, blogs in in that period in uh, paleo. And um, uh, so, of course, I more or less suspended the blog and the retreat and other things in 2015 when my wife and I started a. Uh, a company to create a therapy for cancer, uh, called Angiex, and So that's what I've been working on the last six years. Uh, But uh, perfect health diet, uh, it's going to come back uh, at some point, and uh, as as well our retreats and other things and uh, lifestyle advice, you know, and we'll seek to uh, integrate it with medicine, you know, to help people figure out how you how can you use natural approaches, plus medicine and healthcare. Uh, to really get the best life that that you can. Uh, so we're, you know, we're very committed to it and uh, very excited by what it achieved. Uh, and we had our perfect health retreat was kind of, it was kind of structured like a clinical trial, uh, where you come to our retreat and we control everything for a week. You know, we control your food, your schedule, how you exercise, how you live. And everybody who came had significant health improvements. Uh, and we kept you know, learning through the retreat, how to improve things. And ultimately, our goal would be to use that to uh, ultimately do real trials of natural health interventions and prove that, you know, prove what works and prove what's optimal. So, you know, I think there's a, uh, it was a very fulfilling thing for both my wife and I. So my wife, Sho Cheng, was a partner in this. And was very fulfilling to help people improve their health and to keep learning uh, and to improve our own health. So, you know, it was exciting and fun and, uh, you know, we look forward to getting back to it.
1: I know you've definitely had an influence on me and you mentioned Marxist and I know you've influenced him as well from conversations I had with him and and people like Chris Kresser. I feel like you were very influential, especially in the early movement of understanding that. And I loved how early on you acknowledged that personalization component. Like you said, there wasn't a prescriptive exact one size fits all that you might find a piece that can be helpful in solving one thing, but that the true answers lie in that discovering your own perfect health diet. And you were one of the first voices I came across that really talked about that and integrated a lot of these lifestyle factors that are so much more broadly talked about now, um, thankfully. And just to didn't note, I think it's really fascinating personally that you are educated in both physics and philosophy and even have a PhD in astrophysics, which has been a fun research topic for me recently. But uh, that to say just you are extremely well educated and have a high proficiency in research. And I love that you applied this to nutrition as well. I think a lot of us in this world got here because of personal health struggles. And if you're comfortable sharing, can you just kind of walk us through what your health journey was?
0: Yeah, so... Uh, Well, I had what turned out to be uh, chronic infections and uh, still a little mysterious exactly what they were, but, you know, doctors uh, couldn't diagnose them and uh, the treatments they gave me kept, you know, kind of backfiring, making things worse, you know? So for example, in, in my, in my twenties, I had, you know, I had chronic bad acne and rosacea and a doctor prescribed a course of minocycline for it, an antibiotic that I took for a year. Uh, and that just made my health much, much worse. You know, so I I, I was a runner. I could run, you know, I had a pretty good clip when I started the minocycling and my running just kept getting slower and slower. And I kept feeling worse and worse over the course of the year. And you know, my rosacea got worse. You know, it, it seems stupid now that I stuck with the antibiotics for a whole year. But, uh, uh, you know, when you don't know what to do, You know you tend to follow your doctor's advice or so anyway following that course of antibiotics i uh uh i I just knew things weren't right you know i I didn't feel good It, it was you know not only that you know i i couldn't exercise well i you know my running was slow you know physically i i didn't feel good but also i started noticing cognitive effects Uh, and memory loss, my memory wasn't working, but maybe one of the most significant ones was in terms of mood. I had always been happy. And then over the course of the year of those antibiotics, I stopped being happy, I became internally irritable, you know, all the time, I was just incapable of of feeling happiness. And, uh, and I knew that, you know, this wasn't natural, this wasn't me. this wasn't right. So I didn't express it. Uh, And in fact, you know, when I uh, told my, my wife later that, you know, I felt irritable all the time, she was surprised that, you know, because I, w- I wasn't expressing it, you know, because I knew it would be inappropriate to, to do it. But, uh, you know, that gave me, an, you know, a little bit of understanding of some of the, uh, you know, the mental health issues that, you know, a lot of these health issues can really affect cognition and mood and, uh and it can be very chronic, and the doctors can be completely ignorant, and you know nothing may show up in standard blood tests. And um, you know, I would periodically say, "Oh, you know, I should try something to fix this." And you know, I tried various things, uh, you know, but nothing ever worked. Nothing ever seemed to have an impact uh, until I tried the, the paleo diet, and that had a that had a big impact, both good and bad. So. <laughs> but it was the first thing that had an impact. So, you know, some things got better, some things got worse, but at least I had found, you know, the right lever to impact my health. And so I said, all right, now I'm, now I'm on the right track and now I just have to improve this and, you know, figure out how to get the good without the bad. And, uh, you know, so that was a great breakthrough for me and had a big influence on my life. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm grateful to uh, Art Devaney, especially for introducing me to this.
1: And I feel like your your research and your work is so timely right now, even though I know you mentioned this was something that you started many, many years ago. There's so much debate right now about low carb and keto and carnivore. And there's a lot of popularity of those going on. And I feel like you were one of the early voices that was so good at illuminating, yes, paleo, but it's it's not this quite so black and white as we think it is. And I know that you are a big proponent of white rice, for instance. And whereas some traditional paleo, uh, groups would exclude white rice, but I've read some of your work talking about the importance of carbohydrates. And I think with all the women listening, this is a really important piece to touch on. So if you don't mind, kind of explain how you came to that and why you feel that piece is important.
0: Yeah. So, well, we came to our ideas by many directions. So actually, if you read our, our book, it's written you know as more of a scientific book, more than you know just like a popular diet book you know, where we try to, you know, walk people through our own scientific reasoning, where we tried to figure things out. So the first section of the book has some, you know, like clues, you know, as to what's the optimal diet. So for instance, one of the clues is the composition of breast milk, you know, which must be the optimal diet for infants. And, you know, that doesn't guarantee that the same thing would be the optimal diet for adults, but it, it certainly gives us a lot of clues. And if you have a, a theory about the optimal diet for a human being which doesn't match up with breast milk for an infant you know then you have a bad theory so you know just things like that and you know so we had a bunch of you know our first section i think had half a dozen different evolutionary uh thoughts including you know breast milk must be optimized by evolution for infant health and you know similar you know how can we reason from evolution so that was one of the you know, core paleo ideas? How can we reason from evolution to the optimal diet? And then uh, the other major angle was we want to optimize nutrition. Uh, There's all this evidence about, you know, what nutrients do cells need? What nutrients do animals need? Do humans need? Uh, You know, very large literature uh, that we tried to synthesize to find the optimal amount of each nutrition, uh, each nutrient and there's like 60 known nutrients that are essential for humans and if you estimate the optimal amount of each one and then find a mix of natural whole foods that gives you that optimum you know then you should have a really good quality diet and it's kind of hard to get to that optimum if you're you know if you're a carnivore or if you're you know eating a tremendous amount of oil in order to uh you know assure that you're in ketosis all the time um it's actually much easier if you're uh and you know if you think of our evolutionary environment our paleolithic ancestors they would have had a hard time getting you know pure oil in enough quantities or uh you know meat would have been intermittent and you know so breast milk is about 40 percent carbohydrate you know so it's definitely you know I'm not saying that infants should not have any any carbohydrate And our cells do need carbohydrate, you know, most of the proteins in our body are glycosylated, so they have glucose on them, all of the fats in our body have a a glycogen uh, backbone uh, that holds the fatty acids together, you know, so there's actually uh, quite a bit of uh, carbohydrate in in the body, and, and we need it in order to maintain our tissues. So From kind of first principles, it's not likely to be the right thing to not eat any carbohydrate. Actually, I think it's pretty good to, you know, your body is constantly consuming uh, these macronutrients. It's, uh, you know, it's destroying fats, carbohydrates, and protein. And it's probably a pretty good idea to eat something similar to what the body's consuming. And that's going to put the least stress on the body. You know, whereas if you eat in a different way, then your body has to try to make up for it by converting one macronutrient into another, you know, like maybe convert protein to glucose or something like that. Uh, And that may not always achieve optimal results. So, you know, that was that was kind of uh, the strategy we were led to. And, you know, so our basic paradigm is you should try to eat in a way that delivers to your body all the nutrients that it wants to consume. Uh, and just match those. And, and that's kind of our prejudice. Uh, and then maybe in some health conditions, you might want to vary from that, like toward ketosis in certain conditions where that may be therapeutic. Uh, but understand that that's kind of a therapeutic intervention. It's kind of similar to putting a drug into your body rather than, you know, just trying to nourish it.
1: And is there a thyroid specific component to carbohydrate consumption that that you can go into? I know there's been talk recently of too low carb for too long seems to be potentially harmful or at least stressful to the thyroid at some point.
0: Yeah, I I think there's definitely potential for that by multiple channels. So, you know, certainly thyroid hormone regulates consumption of uh, glucose, you know, so you're kind of, if you're, if you're really minimizing glucose, then you're kind of pushing that thyroid needle you know away from kind of center to you know, like you're pegging it at, at one end to really minimize glucose usage uh and maximize the conversion of protein to glucose and so that's kind of uh, you know it's not the state it, it, it's something that in our ancestral environment you know people get into that occasionally you know, but I don't think they were spending all their time there. So we're not necessarily well adapted to having the thyroid, you know, at that you know kind of pegged at that extreme setting. And then um, another aspect of this is the thyroid gland. It's actually very sensitive. It's easily injured, uh, and that's because the iodine and thyroid hormone, the enzymes that carry it, they're very energetic, and uh, it's easy to get. One of the first places you'll get oxidative stress or inflammatory injuries uh, is often the thyroid gland. Uh, and if you're very low carb, you may not be maintaining gut integrity that well. And you'll tend to get, you know, things coming into your body from the gut, and you'll tend to get an inflammation. And, and usually gut issues, one of the first places you'll see them is hypothyroidism. You'll start to get injury, injuries in the thyroid, inflammatory injuries, and uh and and the gut definitely needs uh, carbohydrate in order to maintain it, maintain its barrier integrity, and uh, generate the mucus that protects the cells uh, from everything that's that's going on in the gut. Yeah, so I think it, you know it is risky for the thyroid to be too low carb, especially for a very long time.
1: And you also mentioned. That low carb or ketosis is a possible interventional approach, but thinking of it more in like a therapeutic sense versus a, a diet that one would follow long term, it seems like to me if we look at the evolutionary idea of food consumption, there was seemed to be an element of cycling that not all foods were available at all times, and we would have eaten obviously what we had access to at that point. Do you find that that's a helpful concept to understand, and if so, how do you kind of categorize that cycling?
0: Yeah, I I guess I take kind of a a middle ground in that I think most of our evolution probably occurred in the tropics where uh, the environment's pretty stable over the course of the year. So there wasn't, you know, maybe a huge amount of cycling. There weren't a lot of people living at northern latitudes ancestrally where you had the very severe winters, Um, although that was certainly, you know, I think significant for our evolution you know, there was definitely uh, gene flow from Neanderthals and, you know, other ancestral ancest- ancestors of ours who were living at Northern latitudes and, you know, and subject to a lot of cyclical uh, variation. And there's been recent, you know, of course, a lot of people living at Northern latitudes for the last 10,000 years and, uh, and experiencing cyclicality. But, you know, definitely there would be, there would be things like uh, periods of poor food availability. So, you know, periods of involuntary fasting and then periods of abundance, you know, like a harvest time, you know, so definitely there was, there was variability to me. I think, you know, one of the ways we can use that is for diagnosis. It's, uh, you know, how you respond to a ketogenic diet can be very informative about what's going on in your body. So for some people, a ketogenic diet will make your health problems worse. For some, they'll make them better. And kind of, uh, you know, if you do everything perfectly, uh, then, you know, you may not get a lot of information about about your health conditions. They'll be, you know, they'll be kind of minimized. But if you go off and do something extreme, then, you know, you may see very big effects. And, uh, you know, so I think that was how I evolved to using the ketogenic diet um after experience with uh guests at our health retreat and helping a lot of people by email over the years that uh its greatest value was in diagnosis and you know if they tried it and you saw what happened then that would often give you clues about what was going on uh but then you could find other means to actually fix the issues um but it was it was very educational and uh you know, so the ketogenic diet you know, it can have a lot of effects. it can be anti-inflammatory, uh, it can affect cognition in, in certain ways. It can also be pro-inflammatory. It can you know if you have certain uh, gut dysbioses, it can carry you know fragments of the microbes into your body and cause inflammation. Uh, you know, so you can get a lot of information about what's going on and, and so on by how they respond to it.
1: That makes sense. And I feel like this is gonna be a segue into, I wanna make sure we talk about the cancer side as well, but you've also written in the past quite a bit about circadian biology and its importance as part of a lifestyle approach. And I think there is thankfully more information about this available now, but I just got back from a biohacking event and it really struck me how funny it was that there was all this really expensive equipment, which I think there can be a time and a place for those things certainly. Um, But somebody posted a great graphic that I really resonated with that said, you know, the best nootropic sleep, the best antidepressant sleep, the best biohack sleep. Like, and I think we sometimes can ignore the obvious in pursuit of these more uh, fascinating biohacking tools, but you were, I feel like one of the first sources I came across that really broke down the importance of circadian biology for health. And I've now come to believe very much that that's one of the most important, if not the most important factor, that if you have that part off, you're going to have struggles across the board. But can you just kind of give some overview of the importance of circadian biology and some ways we can optimize that?
0: Yeah. So, like I said, the motivation for our approach to health was that we believe you need to aim for perfection. You need to try to fix everything. You know, you don't know what the key factors and the key causes are that are causing your health problems, but everything you can fix makes an improvement and it helps clarify the other things that and makes it easier to diagnose them. And so lifestyle, you know, we know that has an impact. You know, exercise has an impact, sleep has an impact. You you know, so after, you know, I felt like we'd optimized diet pretty well, I, you know, the next logical thing was to think about how to optimize lifestyle. And one of the things I noticed was, you know, the interventions, the lifestyle interventions that improve health, they're all impacting circadian Zeitgebers, the, uh, the time givers to our circadian rhythm systems. Then the more I looked into the literature is, yeah, you know, the amount of, of this intervention that is good for you is the amount that entrains your circadian rhythms, like the uh, amount of exercise that's good for you is just the amount, you know, the classic 10,000 steps or, you know, 20, 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise like jogging. You know, that's what you need to entrain your circadian rhythms to tell your body it's daytime. And once you've achieved that, you know, you've achieved all the health benefits and you don't really get any more health benefits from doing more exercise that day. Uh, and of course, the next day, then you'll get you'll get benefits from more exercise. And, and also the uh, timing mattered. you know, so exercise in the evening isn't beneficial, but exercise in the morning uh, or midday is highly beneficial. You know, so why is that unless it's through circadian rhythms that we're getting the benefits? And then from you know, kind of a theoretical biology perspective, so I have a class at our health retreats on why uh, circadian rhythms are so important. So it's kind of like you know, in a computer, your computer chip has a clock and the clock keeps all of the millions of transistors on the computer chip coordinated and our our bodies need that clock as well to keep all of our cells and our molecules coordinated and uh you know if he didn't have that clock uh the analogy i used in our health retreat if you imagine mover two movers trying to move a sofa and the sofa's too heavy if you don't have a mover at each end then it's going to fall and you know if one mover tried to move it either he couldn't move it or he would scrape the scratch the floor because the other one would be dragging so you need the two movers together and they have to be moving in the same direction or else you don't move it successfully and so our cells are like that they have to collaborate they have to work together but unlike movers they can't talk to each other they you know they can't write letters they uh they need some kind of signal that tells them all right this is the time to lift your side of the sofa and this is the time to set it down and it's our circadian rhythms which send that signals and that's how the various cells of the body stay coordinated uh and if we don't have that coordination then nothing works right it's the uh the sofa doesn't get moved you know so that was kind of the key insight and then i could work back from that and understand the scientific literature better you know so then work back from What are the known circadian psyche bears and then how do you optimize them? You know, what lifestyle choices should you make to optimize them? And I think we ended up with very powerful lifestyle advice, which had a big impact and was very helpful to our retreat guests.
1: And I know there's so much more that you have available and resources. I'll make sure your book and a lot of your work is linked in the show notes for you guys who want to go deeper. I certainly recommend it. And I, like I said, I think this is a great segue into another area of expertise for you and the top of mind one right now, which is cancer research. And I know there's been a lot of press around the idea of cancer as a, a metabolic d- disease, at least in part. And unfortunately, the other side of this equation is when some of these factors are not optimized, we tend to see more diseases like cancer i know uh, i hope this is okay to say but this is also somewhat of a a personal quest for you i believe you lost your mother to cancer when you were pretty pretty young but i would love to hear you maybe tell a little bit of that story and what led to this research if you're comfortable and also talk about what's going on at angiex because i i'm personally so excited for the really cutting-edge research you guys are doing
0: yeah, yeah. So um yes, I, I so I did lose my mother to cancer. She was diagnosed with cancer while she was pregnant with me. She was only 22 years old at the time and uh she died when I was 10 and at age 33. But actually what uh led to Antiox was I married my wife Sho Ching and uh she's a molecular biologist and cancer researcher. And uh and actually on our on our first date, I had an intuition. Uh I I, I had a thought that uh uh that this woman can cure cancer, uh, but but she needs your help to do it. And uh for whatever reason, I you know, I, I felt that, that was that was a, a true thought. And uh uh we did end up getting married and and I just kind of followed along. With her career, chipping in, helping where I could, and you know, thinking about, all right, uh, how is she going to cure cancer, and you know, and how is she going to need my help? And it kind of, you know, became clear that at some point, uh, you know, she did make a, a bunch of breakthroughs, and that at some point, uh, it just couldn't be progressed any further in academia, and we'd have to start a company. Uh, and so that was what I was good at, kind of my area of expertise, entrepreneurship. Uh, but we ended up uh, doing that in 2015. So we launched AMGX, and, uh, uh, and it's been, you know, a tremendous experience. So we had uh, a good seed investor, Peter Thiel, uh, is, uh, famous for, uh, founding PayPal, being the first investor in Facebook and, uh, uh has, uh, invested in a lot of companies and, uh, was, uh, the first investor in Angie And, uh, uh and we've been able to uh, build it successfully and we have a, a lead drug which is extremely exciting uh which will probably which gives curative results in every animal model that we've tested it in uh in one dose so we uh, completely safely completely eradicate uh the cancer you know so very exciting drugs it's always uh, more difficult to Cure human cancers and to cure uh, mouse cancers, but uh, we're we're very excited, and so we think it's going to save many many lives, and uh, it'll be entering the clinic early next year. Uh, so we uh, finalized the drug; it's it's being manufactured right now, and so we're we're very very excited about that. Also, starting to think about subsequent drugs. So if this uh, if this one doesn't cure cancer, then uh, how are, how are we going to achieve it? uh but it's a it's a very exciting time for m g x and uh uh and it it's been a lot of fun it's uh you know i think we've been we, we've been blessed as a company with uh, uh divine assistance it's uh you know i've uh, been in been in and around startups for uh more than 25 years and uh you know i would say m g x has had kind of the smoothest course Uh, forward, even though we're doing, you know, maybe one of the most challenging things a business can do. Uh, And, you know, starting with, with very few advantages, you know, so if you think of, uh, you know, we had three founders, one was an 80 year old academic, uh, who was uh, retiring, and uh, my wife, who was, you know, foreign born, born in Asia, uh, PhD in Australia, uh, you know, not really well-known in the the U.S., pursuing research that nobody else was doing. She couldn't get grants to uh, research it in academia. And, you know, me, a diet book author. Xiaoqing had had previously done a collaboration with Pfizer uh, for three years, and they had spent $10 million working on it and taking a good look and then decided to give up. And they gave up largely first internal strategic reasons where, uh, which, I, I don't think it made a lot of sense, but uh, you know they have their strategic judgments, and they decided to get out of the type of drug that we were uh, working on, which is called an antibody drug conjugate. And so they just gave up on antibody drug conjugates entirely, and uh, you know, so our, our drug kind of fell by the wayside, which was uh, exciting to me because then you know we could start a company and, and make it. You know, so we did, but, you know, that was kind of a, you know, on the one hand, it was an advantage, so we kind of learned a lot through Pfizer's work, uh, but it was also, um, you know, a challenge, ent- challenge to the entrepreneur, uh, you know, if Pfizer spent $10 million looking on this and thought it wasn't worth carrying forward, you know, why? Are you a diet book author and a relatively junior academic and, uh, you know, an 80 year old retiree, you know, why are you the people who are going to cure cancer, uh, and prove Pfizer wrong, you know, so that was, that was where we were starting and, uh, uh, but we were able to build NGX successfully. And now, you know, we have, uh, the the best people in the world, you know, world all-star team of, uh, you know, great people in uh, drug development, anybody's your conjugates, you know the, the best the best data anyone has ever seen. So uh, you know it's tremendously exciting.
1: Well, and certainly I want to make sure I acknowledge Xiao Qing's contribution across all of these things we're talking about, because she also co-authored Perfect Health Diet with you. Uh, I would say having a molecular uh, biologist and a Harvard astrophysicist entrepreneur in the same house, I would pay to be a fly on the wall at your dinnertime conversations. (laughs) (laughs) But we share a friend, an investor in Peter, and I know he believes very, very strongly in this work. Uh, I know I read through, I'm also an investor in full transparency in AngiX. It's certainly the first pharmaceutical I've ever invested in or even considered investing in because I was able to kind of delve into the research and ask questions for you. I know I've read through a lot of the science of it, um, but I know you're also very good at explaining. I know this can be very sciencey and high level, but can you kind of walk us through, I know there's some limitations, but as much as you're able, the difference and kind of what sets this apart and what makes it so exciting?
0: Yeah. So, so we're special because uh, A, we have very specific delivery to tumors. And we deliver in two places. We deliver to the tumor cells, and we deliver to the endothelial cells of the tumor blood vessels. And uh, the special aspects of our delivery, first of all, we get delivery directly to the nucleus of all of those cells. Uh, And that's unique. No other drug gets to go to the nucleus. So we have what's called an antibody drug conjugate. Our antibodies handle the delivery aspect. Uh, They get to the tumor. They get into the vascular endothelial cells and the tumor cells of the tumor and into the nucleus of those cells. And then they drop off a chemotherapeutic payload. So we're basically taking chemotherapy, the same kind of chemotherapies people take systemically, where they go to every cell in your body uh, and cause lots of sickness along with attacking the tumor. And we just deliver them very specifically to the tumor into these two cell types and that those are the only cells we let them go to, you know, so the the miraculous things we get this nuclear delivery, and we can get tremendous therapeutic margin, you know, meaning safety, the margin between where we're effective at regressing the tumor and where we're safe to the rest of the body, because we're so selective for the tumor uh and because we're our drugs that do go to the tumor, they go right to the nucleus, they have very high potency there. And then when they leave, they get excreted. So we've designed the, the chemotherapy so that it won't go into any other cell of the body. Uh, so all of that antibody delivery uh, selectivity is, is preserved. So we get that great delivery and then we get our great potency. We didn't know we would be quite this potent, but we get curative results. And the reason is that the targeting of the vascular endothelium leads to the death of every tumor cell within within the tumor because all of the blood vessels within the tumor are killed and all the cells lose their blood supply and they basically starve and die. Uh, And the only tumor cells that escape that are those that invade or metastasize uh, to get away from the tumor. Uh, And it turns out that in order to invade or metastasize, uh, tumor cells appear to need to turn on the mechanism that our antibodies exploit. So our antibodies are like hobos hopping on a freight train. Uh, And the freight train is a freight train that supports uh, vascular growth and supports invasion and metastasis. And if you don't turn on this freight train, then you can't, the tumor cell can't invade or metastasize. But if you do turn it on, then our drug will kill the tumor cell. Uh, And so uh, what we found in these animal models is we kill every cell, every tumor cell that doesn't invade or metastasize, we kill that through the vascular targeting. And everyone that does, we kill through direct tumor cell killing. And so as long as we can dose our antibodies high enough, we get uh, curative results. And a lot of the work Uh, That we did was figuring out what we needed to do to be able to dose our anybody's high enough, and you know, kind of tuning all the parameters of the drug, and so that we get these curative results in people. And you know, so uh, we think we've think we've done a really good job, and uh, you know, we can't wait to see how it does.
1: Can you talk a little bit about um, kind of the specifics of the initial trials that you guys have seen? I know they've just been animal trials to this point, um, and what you kind of expect as a runway, of course. can always go in their own direction but like what you guys are expecting to see at this point
0: yeah so so what we'll be doing next year is what's called the dose escalation so the regulators make you start at a low dose uh, that you know is safe and then you work your way up to higher doses and uh, with the goal of reaching efficacy before you reach a limit on safety and with conventional drugs typically you don't expect that they'll be efficacious in one dose. You know, so you just raise the dose until it starts becoming unsafe. And then you say, all right, we'll dose just below that, and we'll give a dose, and we'll let people recover from that dose, and then we'll give another dose and another dose and another dose, and we'll keep dosing until they can't take it anymore. And so that's how it normally works. Uh, In our case, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get curative results in one dose, uh, you know, like we do in animals, so we'll see. So we're going to start, you know, we'll probably treat our first patient potentially April next year. Uh, We should start seeing responses, so we're not necessarily expecting in the first few patients to get a response uh, because the dose will be so low. But it'll be very safe at those doses. And then, you know, we should start seeing responses, you know, maybe around October uh, next year. So that'll be that'll be very, very exciting. And we should know uh, the ultimate dose that we'll use to treat patients by the end of the year, you know, so by December. Uh, And then once we know the right dose, uh, you know, then we can do what's called an expansion and start treating more patients. So that'll be very, very exciting. And uh, we'll probably start with pancreatic cancer, triple negative breast cancer, and then uh, quickly move on to ovarian cancer, liver cancer, lung cancer, stomach, uh, esophageal, head and neck, you know, potentially uh, cervical, renal, uh, other cancers. Um, so we can, we can treat all solid cancers essentially you know, we'll, we'll see. And so the other thing we're finding is that our drug activates the immune system against cancers very effectively. Uh, So currently, the most the only curative drugs against cancer are uh, drugs called checkpoint inhibitors, which help to activate the immune system against the cancer. Uh, And they achieve curative results in about 5% of cancers uh and we have the potential to increase that to 100 percent. so we basically potentiate checkpoint inhibitors against every cancer so it's it's exciting and uh you know so the combinations you know so if we don't uh, cure cancer as a monotherapy we might cure it as a combination with uh, other drugs
1: I lost a close family member to pancreatic cancer. So it makes me really excited that you guys are seeing such incredible results in this. And another reason I was so excited to be able to invest and why I never, again, never thought I would invest in a pharmaceutical drug and was so excited to be able to do so is knowing your background and Xiao Qing's background in understanding all the other aspects of health as well. And I would guess a lot of people listening, many of us came into the world of natural health and maybe have a kind of perception of pharmaceutical drugs that's negative. And I think that's warranted in many cases. I think we've seen that play out in the medical industry quite a bit, but I am curious to hear your take on that more of an integrated approach to cancer. And this is why I was so excited that you guys are the ones that Advancing this, maybe kind of high level. What do you think of natural approaches versus pharmaceutical, and more more aptly, what about them together?
0: Yeah, they they should be integrated. So uh, definitely, circadian rhythm entrainment very very important for cancer prevention and for activation of immunity against the cancers. Uh, and actually, uh, there you know there are some cases of spontaneous remission of cancers, and almost invariably the things that led to the cancer emitting is somebody decided, oh, I'm going to quit my job. And I'm going to go off and hike in the national parks for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, so they spent three or four months, you know, hiking in the national parks. So they're living, you know, really a paleo lifestyle and getting a lot of exercise and sunshine. Uh, And then they come back and their cancer is gone. You know, so the circadian rhythm entrainment is very, very important. Uh, We've had a lot of people on our diet, with cancer have undergone chemotherapy and tolerated it extremely well you know so definitely being well nourished enables you to tolerate toxins and poisons much much better Uh, you know you'll detoxify them excrete them and uh you know do a lot better and uh very likely live quite a bit longer uh you know so that that's been our experience with our with our readers who have reported their experiences with, with cancer our drug it should work well for everyone but uh uh you know i I think the better you're treating the normal parts of your body you know the better they'll be able to deal with any uh with any cancer therapy so you know i i think you know we do need the drugs to get rid of the cancer but uh you can assist that by promoting good immune function so your immune system is the one way that you have to try to to cure the cancer Uh, but then you can also protect the rest of your body from uh, the cancer and the cancer drugs and you know enable you to tolerate the cancer a little little bit better
1: that's so exciting i know like i said it's high level and somewhat sciency but i'm really personally excited for what the future holds for this. I know it's no secret, I would guess everyone listening has someone in their lives who has been affected by cancer at some point. And uh, I love, like I said, that you guys bring the background knowledge of metabolic health into this amazing research knowledge. And I'm excited to be involved and to be kept up to date. We'll have to do updates as things become more available and uh, hopefully as they get to market and can help people really, really soon. This episode is sponsored by June Shine a delicious kombucha-based adult beverage that many people are turning to in lieu of beer or spiked sparkly drinks. Junshine is better for you alcohol and there's a reason it's becoming so popular. It's made with only real organic ingredients and unlike many alcoholic beverages, they are transparent about every ingredient they put in their products. It's brewed with real organic ingredients, has only 3 grams of sugar, making it low carb and full of probiotics. Best of all, it doesn't leave you with that I'm too full after drinking feeling, and it gives you a lighter, brighter buzz. Juneshine is sustainably produced. They are 100% carbon neutral. They donate 1% of all sales to environmental nonprofits. Their brewery is powered by 100% renewable solar, and they plant trees for all those used to make their boxes. And now they deliver straight to your door. I've worked out a special deal just for you. Receive 20% off plus free shipping site wide. I recommend trying one of their best-selling variety packs. It's a great way to sample all their flavors. Go to juneshine.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama at checkout to claim this deal. So again, that's j-u-n-e-s-h-i-n-e dot com slash wellnessmama. You can also find them at over 10,000 stores across the country, including Whole Foods, Safeway, Kroger, and Publix. This podcast is brought to you by Juve Red Light Therapy Devices. Not familiar with red light? Thousands, and yes, I said thousands, of peer-reviewed research articles have demonstrated the benefits of red and near-infrared light for things like skin health, reduced pain and inflammation, and faster muscle recovery. These are some of the same spectrums we get from the sun, although of course not as many as we get from the sun, but they provide specific benefit and can be used at home. I've personally used this to help my hair stay healthy and thick, to support my thyroid with light, and to help tighten up loose skin after six babies. One feature I love with their latest generation of products is something they call ambient mode, which uses lower intensity red light designed to be used at night as a healthy alternative to bright blue light. Using the Juve custom ambient setting at night doesn't negatively affect your melatonin production, which makes it a great way to prepare your body for bed. It's a part of my routine, and I hope you'll try it too. For a limited time, all of my listeners get an exclusive discount on your first order. Go to juve.com forward slash wellness mama and apply my code Wellness Mama to your order. Again, that's J-O-O-V-V dot com slash Wellness Mama. Of course, some exclusions apply, and this is a limited time offer. So hurry up and grab one now. And as we get to the end of the interview, a few questions I love to ask, and I'm so excited for your answers on. um, The first being, if there are any other kind of things people don't know or understand about these areas of expertise that we've touched on.
0: Yeah, so I guess what I would say I've just been, in many ways, kind of led led through my life. Uh, you know, just trying to pursue. You know, I was a scientist. I, I still think of myself as a scientist, uh, and I became an entrepreneur. You know, partly that was because you know, I was bored with other things, and that seemed like the most you know exciting. You know, and and once I did it uh, in the 1990s with an internet uh, startup. I had a lot of fun you know it was uh, the most exciting thing and i think of you know kind of science and entrepreneurship uh similarly you know that uh in in science you know it's motivated by a love of truth you're seeking the truth and you're trying to construct theories which are kind of networks of ideas and you know make them all fit together and work really well together and in entrepreneurship it's kind of the same thing except instead of loving ideas or truths, you're loving people. And you're trying to put networks of people together that really fit together well, and you know, that are very fruitful. And that's been, you know, kind of tremendous fun for me, you know, so I've kind of, I kind of always thought of myself as, uh, uh, you know, pursuing, pursuing love, pursuing truth. Uh, And I, you know, I guess that that comes from uh, religious faith, you know, kind of Christian upbringing and, uh, and and Christian faith. So, you know, we're, we're commanded to pursue love, pursue truth, you know, so if you're pursuing it, I guess I'd say I've just kind of, you know, things have kind of fallen into my lap, you know, kind of, uh, you know, my, my wife came to me, and it was just a matter of helping my wife, right? So, you know, so I haven't necessarily done anything special except you know tried to consistently pursue truth through science and uh and you know putting together you know love loving networks of people through entrepreneurship uh and just you know try to have the the faith and the courage that if you know you pursue these things that things will work out. And so far at least that they have we haven't you know we haven't been kicked out of our home and you know, starving to death in the gutter. Yeah.
1: I love that. That's beautiful. And I have a note in my show notes that you read about a thousand novels earlier in your life, which makes you one of probably the most well-read people I've ever talked to, but you're not as much into novels now, but it, it goes to my next question, which is if there's a book or a number of books that have had a really profound impact on your life and if so, what they are and why?
0: Yeah. So, well, the, uh, the Bible certainly and the and the gospels. So, you know, like I said, I, uh, I am religious and I've kind of you know, tried to shape my life and in a uh, you know loving and, and truth seeking way, and so you know I had regular recurrence to that and just compare you know my life challenges, life problems, with uh, commandments from from Jesus and trying to figure out what uh, you know what would be the right course. Uh, so that was something. Um, so early in my career, early in my life, actually, as a teenager, I got interested in economics. And I really wanted to solve the problem of, um, I I really felt like, you know, in the physical sciences, we made a transition from like alchemy to chemistry, astrology to astrophysics, you know, from, uh, you know, kind of pseudoscience to real science. And I felt like the social sciences had never achieved that. And that it would be, you know, kind of like a worthy enterprise to try to figure out how to do that. And so I got interested uh, as a teenager in economics. And so the great influences on me in that were uh, uh, Friedrich Hayek, his, his writings, his papers and, and books had a big influence on me by you know, kind of posing the problem with economics uh, in a very clear way. You know, so I knew exactly what the problem with existing economics was. Uh, But I didn't know what the solution was uh, until I came across uh, the work of Ronald Coase, uh, who won the Nobel Prize about 1990. And and that showed, I think, the, the path to a solution. And it gave me some ideas, you know, fruitful ideas. So it was kind of like, you know, my equivalent in economics of coming across, you know, Art Devaney and the paleo diet. And you know what he showed me is that in order to find the path forward, I really had to understand entrepreneurship. And wanting to understand entrepreneurship was a big part of my motivation for leaving academia and leaving physics, where I had a, a secure but boring job uh, in order to you know, take a, a risky but interesting job in uh, you know, starting a, a software company. And like I said, I just love that, so that had a big impact, and uh, I learned a lot. And uh, I've thought of myself as an entrepreneur ever since. Uh, and then when I learned about paleo, then I I wasn't afraid to say, oh, you know, I can start a, you know, I can write a book, start a health retreat, you know, do whatever. It's you know, the, the key thing is to figure out how to be healthy, and you know, and that won't be wasting energy. And if I can actually figure out how to make people healthy, then I can earn a living, uh, helping people to be healthy. So, you know, I wasn't having some entrepreneurial experience. I wasn't afraid to go pursue and you know, to go do the science of, of natural health, you know, and then my wife was busy figuring out how to cure cancer. And, you know, so I was following along and, you know, so then I could say, oh, well, uh, you know, if you get to the point where, you know, the way forward is to start a company, then I'll then i'll get a company started and we can uh, uh you know ra- raise money and actually make a drug and uh and improve your ideas and uh you know so that, that was uh uh the course of my life and now i've forgotten what question i was trying to answer but uh you know so i've just kind of uh it, it may have been saying what books were were influential you know so i was kind of following what i felt like were the commands you know, to try and pursue love and truth and, uh, you know, just do it faithfully and, uh, uh, you know, follow some ideas along the way. And, uh, you know, definitely all those novels I read, you know, they were helpful in, uh, you know, in thinking about people and thinking about myself, you know, what's important. You know, I think one of the key things in life is just to figure out what is your life for? You know, we're all trading 80 years of time for something and uh you know what do you want to trade your life for you know what's the pearl of great price that you're going to trade those 80 years for and um, you know so everyone has to has to make that trade you're not allowed to keep those 80 years and you know hang on to them you have to spend them and uh you know so it's it's a question of what you're going to to spend them on and i guess i feel i've been i've been blessed i've been able to you know, spend my years on things I enjoyed that were a lot of fun and that were fulfilling. You know, so if, if I had any advice from books, it would kind of pursue your interests, try to do what's right, and uh, have have faith, have courage.
1: Well, and that I think you might have already answered my last question intuitively. But yeah, any other parting advice for the listeners today? I'm grateful for you and for shouting and the work that you're doing. But any parting advice for everyone today?
0: Yeah, I think. Um, I, I would say that's, you know, kind of the lesson of, of my life is love truth, love people. I would say, you know, there are many ways to do that. Uh, you know, you, you can uh, you can love truth by being a teacher in a kindergarten and, you know, teach kids how to tie their shoelaces. But, you know, that's a, that's a gift. And, you know, teaching is a way to pass along the truths that other people have, have learned you know, for me, I felt like, you know, I was fairly talented. And so I had an obligation to try to, uh, you know, pursue truth in the most difficult way through, through science and to pursue love in the more difficult way, you know, so you could, you know, to be a doctor and to, you know, treat people in the conventional way, you know, with existing knowledge, you know, that's a virtuous thing, much like teaching. Uh, But, you know, if you can discover an even better way to improve people's health, that's even even better. So I, you know, kind of felt like I should, you know, I was talented enough that I should pursue the most difficult paths. Uh, and then you just need, you know, if you're going to do difficult things, then there's a risk of failure and you're bound to be afraid, maybe terrified, and, you know, so you need, you need faith, you need courage and... Uh, You know, to me, those are the most important things.
1: I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. I have so much hope and excitement for the work that you guys are doing. Thanks for explaining it today. Thank you for your time. And please tell Xiaoqing thank you and hi from us as well.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back and and telling you how how our drug is doing.
1: You are always welcome and thanks to all of you guys for listening and speaking of time in a limited amount for sharing your most valuable resource, your time with us and your energy and attention today. I know that we're both so grateful that you were here and I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me?